Hey everybody, this is Alan from Super Best Friend <laughs> Music Fun Show. Um, <laughs> we really need you to rate and review and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts so that our podcast goes up in the podcast charts. And, oh, you know what? I can't hear it. I'm sorry if that's playing. Wait, listen, you guys... Oh, God, the cat is hissing and spitting. But, yeah, rate and review and subscribe to Super Best Friend Music Show. We love you. Cat, This is cat eating fish. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't think that's a real cat eating a real fish. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the super best friend of music show. Ooh. Are you going to put some reverb on that? I should. <laughs> you should. Super best friend music show. Show, show, show. Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. And kids' seats are still just five. <laughs> we got Alan. We got Dana. We got Joe. We got Truckosaurus. <laughs> We've got Gravedigger Polana. We got. <laughs> Truckosaurus, what did you think about Charles Brandt? <laughs> Truckosaurus. <laughs> uh, I'm here <laughs> with uh, Joe Polana, Joe Polana, aka Truckosaurus, and Dana Slattery, aka Dana Mudflap Slattery. <laughs> oh my God, I would never call somebody that. <laughs> Mudflap Slattery, no. Does that, that mean something else? Like, I don't know. It doesn't. That's like my favorite line in Big Bottom. By spinal tap. <laughs> oh, talk about mud flaps. My girl's got them. Oh, shit. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. That's We're... me. Don't call me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if it means anything, but I feel like it must. It could. It doesn't There's sound potential. good. Like, no. Whatever a mud I flap could I think be, I don't want it to. Based on. <laughs> On the context of the song, I think it's butt cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, like big ass butt cheeks. That yeah. stunt, but also it implies that yeah, that woman me. has like crazy diarrhea. <laughs> like, diarrhea yeah. with the intensity of a tire on mud. <laughs> the only thing stopping we, it. We're not even like a minute in and we got like diarrhea flying. <laughs> this is the fastest we've been derailed. <laughs> <laughs> so we got mud flap slattery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a 10 4. Doctor says I'm lactose intolerant, but I don't believe him. <laughs> it's only natural. Yeah. Um, anyway. Anywho, <laughs> welcome to the show where obviously we choose an album, we only talk about that Who album. Are you? I, th I think I said my name. Who the fuck? Oh, is no. Well, it's none of your goddamn business. And then, <laughs> I told that to a roommate once, and that's like still, I think, the funniest thing I've ever said in my life. He, a roommate asked you who you were? Yeah, and I said, it's none of your fucking business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's still something I'm the most proud of. I'm just like, you don't really get to fuck with somebody on that level often. But he had no. just moved into the house. He was like, hey, I'm. Oh. I'll, I'll edit that out. 
like, I'm Alan. He goes, oh, cool. What's, uh, what's your last name? And I just said, it's none of your fucking business, Brian. And then I just went upstairs. <laughs> stay out of my room. Yeah, stay out of my room and don't know my name. You call me Mud Flaps and you call me Sir. <laughs> order <laughs> first you call me mud flaps <laughs> then you call me sir you do not call me sir mud flaps that was my father <laughs> fuck <Yeah. PGQ>. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously today we're talking about uh, none other than charles bradley's debut album no time for mud flaps um <laughs> Uh, no Time for Dreaming by Charles Bradley, and it's, we've done him a great disservice so far. <laughs> he really doesn't deserve it. He this. certainly no. does not. He's such a wonderful Forgive man. us. The Let screaming eagle of soul. Yep. Black Velvet, James Brown Jr. I love that eagle. name, Black Velvet. Yeah. That's pretty damn good. It is pretty sick. Have you guys... Have So, what... what what are both your experiences with Charles Bradley prior to this week? I really just knew the album changes. I like bought that album because I saw like the like the album art just like grabbed me when mm. <laughs> when I first saw it. That I like read about his life. I'm like, oh shit, that's so cool. And so that I, I, I bought that one, and I didn't really like see his albums around too often. But like that one was like prominently displayed when it came out in Newberry Comics. Yeah, I feel like so yeah. it was a big it. single. Yeah, because it's on uh, Big Mouth now. Like, that was a big hit. Oh, right. I forgot that it's uh, the the opening theme to Big Mouth. Yeah, yeah. which also is a disservice to it, I think, because that's not... I'm not a fan of that show. I never, I never got into it. Mostly, I think, because it's, like, really ugly and... Makes Weird. me uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, you're the second person to say that's an ugly cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I love the show, but it is gross. Yes. I, <laughs> I guess when I think but of an I ugly cartoon, I funny... think of like Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. Because that's yeah. like, gr- that's gross. And right, like but, but, it's, but I feel like Ren and Stimpy leans into it. I feel like right. Big Mouth is just like, it just happens well, to be. That's because it was like made by a psychopath. Right. Yeah, that's true. Right. That guy's really like a point. monster. Yeah. That was one of uh, <laughs> degrees of Zappa for this episode is one because uh, that was one of Frank Zappa's favorite shows. Ren yeah. and Stimpy? Really? That I was, haven't. He wanted to be on Ren and Stimpy before he died, and he I don't think he got to. Oh, no, uh, I mean, he tragic. actually might have. We'll do that later. Let's not let's not go down that let's rabbit hole. Let's not derail. Um, my my relationship, I guess, with the ch- with Charles Bradley's music is I heard a lot of it around the time, probably between the time that No Time for Dreaming came out, and I I don't think I ever listened to Changes, but his first two there, No Time for Dreaming and Victim of Love, I heard a lot. Um, Probably because I was working with you at the time. Yeah, I was gonna say that's, this is, it's probably after Victim of Love because of me. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like you know, it's it's really perfect music to like throw on at a record store, you mm-hmm. know, because not only is it like you know this like timeless soul music, but it's also for sale. You can buy it now because it's in print, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was always something that was available to put on at the store. Um, but I feel like I haven't really. It's been a while 
Like I, n- I never heard. <laughs> it's been a while. I never heard Black Velvet, um, which makes me sad, and I need to listen to that as soon as possible. Um, but after watching the that documentary last night, uh, Soul of America, um, the Charles Bradley documentary, I only want to listen to Charles Bradley. Yeah. Uh, going forward. <laughs> yeah. I I loved this album. I loved that movie so much. I, yeah, that was uh, special. He's just, I forgot how intense he's it just, was. He's an intense he's man. Just so wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got he's got like a great amount of like lore to his story. You know, it's like how unreal. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I, I said last night, like in our text, like it seems like he was like cryogenically frozen in like 1958 and then just defrosted in 2010 or whatever. Yeah. Cuz he is so he's like such an I mean he was an old guy, you know, by the time he was putting out these records on Daptone. Um but he's like I I don't know, it seems like somehow like he is of that yeah, like Yeah, he feels like a legitimate lost relic. Totally, of like a totally. Era. Yeah, but he you know, it's not like he was putting out music then. Maybe he was performing music then. Um but we'll get into all of that, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't so I didn't grab a lot about the actual making of the album because that's not incredibly interesting um pretty much the way they made this album was between daptone studios and what will later become the headquarters of dunham records which was thomas brennick's apartment and he had turned his bedroom into like a production um recording studio dunham records is just like a subset a sub record label a sub label of um daptone but so pretty much the record of this would be they had the Minahan Street Band that Thomas Brennick was one of the leads of, and the name oh Gabe Roth saw Charles Bradley introduced him to Thomas Brennick and said, uh, "You guys hang out and play music for him so he can have a singer, or so you can have a singer and he can have a band with him." And they pretty much just would play music behind him that they had. Or play music together they thought of. And then Charles Bradley would freestyle over all of that until they came up with songs. And that's really all there is for the production of the album. But I figured for this whole episode we can just talk about Charles Bradley's incredible life story that led up to this album. And why every song on this is an absolute heartbreaker. Yep. Yeah. So the reason... Right, for start, let's just uh, well, all right. Let's go through the the just facts of whatever here. Uh, or actually, you know what? Let me say what my experience of Charles Bradley is. Please do. How about that? How yeah. about that? I did not know this album when it came out. Uh, yeah, you. So uh, should we do like the premise of the show and what we're doing? I thought we did, didn't we, at the beginning before the diarrhea? No. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, so the all... BD. Yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is the Super Best Friend Music Show, and uh, I'm not gonna put this any earlier in it. I know this might be your first episode joining us, and if you made it ten minutes and without one without wondering what the show is, then you're probably already on board. We choose an album. We talk about You're probably about not it. very picky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're one of our friends. Maybe you're one of our relatives. Maybe Hi, you're asleep right now. <laughs> uh, Sir Mudflap? <laughs> 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 
Pon Pa Mudflap. <laughs> so, <laughs> what we do is we choose an album to talk about, and I definitely already said this that we only ever talk about that album and nothing else, because I think that was middle diarrhea tangent. Uh, so. Uh, now I don't remember. You know what? And we're keeping all of this in. This is what the show is, everybody. It's <laughs> the three of us meeting once a week to, I, I don't know about you guys, but this is my connection to the outside world, is this uh, <laughs> once a week meet. And uh, we discuss music and whatever else comes up, whether it's what's a human mud flap <laughs> or what's a good surf tune and why Johnny Cash is so cool. Etc. Et leave anything else out? We got this? I think that covers it. I think we're good? Yeah, so I guess, like, I only brought up, to, like, because, like, it's your week, so, like, your, like, like, your connection probably needs <laughs> more than ours. Right. Oh, yeah. So I guess I should <laughs> mention why we're doing this album. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was all I was going for. <laughs> Did I, all right, yeah. All right, I think we got everything else going. I'm going to cut out my rambling here of wondering what else I'm missing. So the reason I chose Charles Bradley's No Time for Dreaming. Uh, thank you, Joe. Thank you. Um, what was it? Truckosaurus. Thank you, Truckosaurus Polana. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a sick name for an album. Just thank you, Truckosaurus. <laughs> thank you, Truckosaurus. Damn. I'd... That's pretty good. Yeah, hold on. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Throw it in the piss Yeah, no, that's not, where, that's not where it goes. Piss board, that goes in the... No, I don't think I have a good one going on. What a cool... <laughs> Whoop. <laughs> That'll be what I do next week. Yeah. <laughs> like an album I put out. <laughs> you make your own album for this show. <laughs> okay, so the reason <laughs> the reason I chose Charles Bradley's No Time for Dreaming is it's one of those moments that I very specifically remember of like discovering him uh, in my life. And it was at, at uh, the record store where we worked. And they had them, like, we had these three front displays at the time. And it was new releases, top sellers, and just, like, highlighted albums. And Victim of Love had come out a few weeks earlier. And it wasn't, like, prominently displayed, but it was just right there. And it was a new album. But, like, Daptone has this great look. And they talk about it in Living on Soul, the Daptone documentary, where they talk about how the only way to get someone to buy something like this today is to make it look like it's old like trick you to thinking hmm. this must be old so you check it out and i looked at victim of love and i was like that guy looks very old that guy's album looks very like classic and just like a soul album i was like i i gotta see what this is because i was like this must be a comeback album or something or like this must be like this dude's first album back and I listened it's to it. Kind of cool reissue or something. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. And uh, I grabbed it, and the first thing I watched was because uh, I was like, "Who is this Charles Bradley character?" I watched this live performance of Confusion, and uh, let's watch some of this. Yeah! 
So I'm still at the point where I think that this dude is on a comeback. Like, how have you never heard of this dude before? Yes. Like, he's been around, he's clearly been around for decades. Yes, like, this must be, oh, it's too good to have, to have never existed until now. Like, he almost does, like, you do think if, like, James Brown had lived, yeah. <laughs> he would look like that. And I just want to I mean, say... He really is just, like... Oh, go ahead, Joe. Oh. Uh, I was just going to say, he is just, like, magnetic. Like, you can't take your eyes yeah. off totally. of Charles. And I was just going to say, like, somehow, like, his this band that he's with, they somehow are just, like, seamless together. Like, they're made yes. for each other yes. somehow. And, and they were a, they were already just a fully established band, and Daptone wanted to release them, but with a, like, with a singer to, to perform, because they didn't think they were going to, I guess, sell enough instrumental funk music. Yeah. And this is perfect. This is like that was a, yeah. a match made in heaven in Brooklyn. And like there was there was like one I found like one bad review of the album. It wasn't even like a bad review. It was like a a, mid, a it was like a C review. It was like a medium. Like they're like it just they're like and I got so mad cuz they're like it feels like the band and the singer don't gel. I'm like are you fucking yeah. kidding me? It's like that's like it's seamless. <laughs> they are like a perfect match for each other. Oh man. It's a he's a powerful person to watch. And What is this Sorry, what's this song confusion on? Uh, victim of love. Oh, okay, okay. Like I feel like Charles is the definition of only ever giving a hundred and ten percent. And his clothes too. In the documentary, talks about how he makes his own clothes. That he wants to have like fancy clothes like James Brown would wear, but he couldn't afford them. So he'd go buy go buy thrift store clothes and then fabric, and just sew them together himself. There were awesome. so many like casually impressive things like that like he can just like do like and I mean it, it must stem from like having to survive on yeah. your own but like watching him cook watching him like sew his own clothes like he was just like I mean that guy was like yeah. one of his first jobs right was being a cook but like just like watching him do it you're like oh this guy is talented. Here's the real treat is watching Charles Bradley use a theremin. And he's actually pretty good at it. As I've been playing around with that theremin that I have, and like it's not easy. It's it's really difficult to play, and it he makes it look so easy. And I feel like a lot of theremin players do. But even just like, even just the simple little like, you know, melodies or whatever that he's doing on it now, like that's hard. And he's just dancing around it, you know. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you have. You have like the Moog like Etherwave one, right? Mm-hmm. Because I've been looking at the mini, the mini um, theremins, and those have oh. like a pitch correction you can use to like help yourself learn the theremin. Mm. But I did see, I you did heard... see you've been playing it. It went from like I have this theremin that's collecting dust to like I have this theremin. Well, then I then I took it out. And I was like, oh, this is actually sick. And you know, we were talking about the Beach Boys like the week that I b- busted it out, and then I was like, well, I'm just gonna try and learn the. The good vibrations theremin, <laughs> just so I make sure it works before I send it off to Alan. And now it's still set up, but no, it it will make its way down to you. I I promise. Don't even worry about it. 
Do you know like the story of the theremin? Yes, it's wild. Yeah, I I I love. I've been obsessed with the theremin, and it's something that I've been de- getting myself to not buy for like a decade now. It, every year, but I, I just, just I, I love like like it, it like the history is as kooky as the sound <laughs> like that Louis Theremin like the KGB like kidnapped him out of New York and like we're like stop making instruments and use your like engineering degree for mother russia like they like kidnapped him and brought him back to russia oh my god and uh people thought he was dead and then like when the cold war ended like he was like able to like meet like the woman he like loved in new york again for like the first time in like 30 years it was like wild wow and then he met the guy from move and that guy was obsessed with theremins Oh, Leon Theremin, sorry, I called him Louis. Louis. That's my bad. Louis Theremin, total dude. <laughs> Louis Theremin. <laughs> that guy owned uh, a fuck. He was a bookie. He was a real sack of shit. <laughs> but anyways, but, uh, before we go down a full Theremin hole, let's get back into Charles Bradley. Ooh, also a good album name. A full Theremin, Theremin hole. <laughs> Theremin hole. <laughs> All right, let's add that. <laughs> Thank you, Truckosaurus, by Theremin Hole. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do this. Okay. Thank okay. you. Hardy. All right, so we just listened to uh, me playing piano on Mushrooms. In case I cut all that out and someone needs to know what Joe is about to talk about. Good, tr- Nice try. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like that the main riff on Heartaches and Pain was just like a piano line that like Charles had been like it was like his like go to like fiddling on a piano line that like was just like a part of him like like it really is just like a part of his soul yeah like, cause the, he had... like that is like the sound of him Whoa. like that's just him like that's like his natural melody that comes out of him when he sees a oh, piano it's it killed me it, it's I, I started sobbing it's too... i sobbed so much so all right so i had seen that documentary so while so when victim of love came out i saw this confusion video i got victim of love i fell in love with that album uh St- soul of america was streaming for free either on amazon or netflix at the time and so i watched this documentary like a couple of times when it came out and then i got no time for dreaming and I actually went to see Charles Bradley on the Victim of Love tour, and I feel like maybe this girl is listening. So, uh, maybe it wasn't the Victim of Love tour. No, it must have been, but it would have been like 20, 2014. And I was going, I, I went out with this uh, lady, and I said, nice. Meet me at my house. And then I'll drive us into Boston. It was Charles Bradley opening for Galactic. Uh, wow. Galactic, I don't really know them. They're I I like them enough. You know, they're inst- like kind of seems like just funk jams. Mm-hmm. And uh, Charles Bradley was opening for him at the House of Blues, and she showed up to my house two hours late, and we missed Charles Bradley. We Whoa. got there as he was. Uh, finishing why is it so hard to make it in america and leaving the stage and fanfare and uh she got really drunk and i had to drive us home and uh i saw galactic which was a band i just don't care about and uh so i was always really bummed that i never got to see charles bradley until i i got to see him i i i guess the last tour he did 
but that was the first year of Charles Bradley. And hey, if you're listening, I'm sure you remember that that's you. And uh, yes, I still hold it against you. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the man's dead. I'll never see him again. Um, At least you got to see him, though. I mean, I did, watch, yeah. watching the documentary last night, I was just like beside myself like wow what an experience to like see this guy like really bear his soul like quite literally to Mm. the audience and you know I feel like that's just rare you don't I'm not saying that musicians like don't do that of course they do but like the way I mean he's just so unique in his like disposition like towards the audience and like towards him performing yeah i mean you can really tell it's something that he's been waiting or he had been waiting his there's entire just, life for yeah there's just no mask with him yeah. it's just like there's it's so he just genuine. wants to love you so yeah. let's let's talk about who charles bradley is and uh because now if you've been listening to this podcast for the last half hour unfamiliar as to this man that we just keep referencing his life and saying how cool it is <laughs> let's say let's see what happened so charles bradley was born november 5th 1948 i can't read my screen from here um hi guys hi hi so charles bradley was born november 5th 1948 uh he's from gainesville florida and his mother abandoned him at eight months old. And it's pretty crazy in that documentary that they, it seems like nobody really likes Charles Bradley's mother. It seems like people hold a lot of this stuff against her. Because except, except for Charles. For Charles for one per- who loves the- her or loved her. Uh, uh, yeah. That, that blew my mind. Like, like I'm sure, like we all we all know people that hate their parents for way less than what she did to yes. him, and he just was so capable of love and forgiveness. I'm like starting to cry now. <laughs> like, it's like I I mean I still haven't unreal. I still haven't forgiven my parents for naming me Dana Mudflaps Slattery. <laughs> <laughs> We're still working through that. <laughs> And here Charles Bradley is abandoned by his mom at, at eight Florida. months old in fucking Florida. So not even like a cool part of yeah. Florida either. Like. <laughs> so then she comes back after eight years and wants to bring him back to New York. And people people said initially that she abandoned her kids to go follow a married man to New York is something that like an old family friend says in that documentary. And then after eight years, she comes back and wants to take Charles and his brothers back to New York with her. And he doesn't want to. And his grandmother says, it's a bad life in New York. Let him stay down here in Florida. He has friends and a life. And his mother essentially just kidnapped him and brought him up to Brooklyn, where, again, an, an old fam- a different I think a, a different old family friend mentions that it was – most likely because it was hard to find work in New York and it was easier to get a better welfare check if you have dependents and she needed her kids for dependents and Charles life Charles lived in a sand floor basement in an apartment in Brooklyn New York from the years 8 to 14 where he said he had just a 15 watt bulb which 
is not bright. That's like a closet no. bomb. Yeah. Was he? Oh, I guess like I don't know if you would know this if they didn't like say it. The, was, the, was he in school or was he like was he like just? No, I don't believe he kind was in of school. Well, right, because so they're they're that, teaching him to read in that in that documentary. Yeah, He's he reads at like illiterate. a first grade level. So that's just so brutal that like she just fucked him for like life by like yeah. just like his grandparents would have like he was probably if he was eight he was probably like in first grade like about to like learn all these things and then it was just taken away from him i like, i guess i no. don't understand why he wouldn't have i mean maybe he did go to school and he just didn't they just didn't you know well, this well was i mean at, at that this is before launched like the no child left behind program mm. stuff and yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is possible that if he had, like, I mean, if he had, like, dyslexia or something, it's not like they would have helped, helped right. him back right. then. Like, so it, it could have been he didn't learn to read for other reasons, but it still just seems like that was a debilitating choice by his mother. Like, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, even just to leave your life to go live in a not even a concrete floor basement and just, like, in a mattress my god yeah there, <laughs> there are so many points in that movie where like if it wasn't a true story like if like you were to like write the charles bradley life story as like a script and like bring it to someone they'd be like you have to cut like most they'd of be this. like this like, is this too is heavy-handed un- like it's not believable yeah. like nobody has had this hard a life and it just all happened to and it didn't it didn't break him. Like, it's it incredible that, like, he was so, uh, like, strong. Like, just, like, such a strong so person. And full lo- of love. Like, well, that's why I said, like, it, you know, watching it last night, like, I believe in God now. Just because, like, I mean, the fact that, you know, Charles Bradley had this, like, really tragic, sad upbringing. Uh and was kind of, you know, ab- abandoned by people who are supposed to be taking care of him. And he still, like, just exudes love and happiness. And, like, he's just grateful for everything. Uh, th- I don't know. Like, how, how else could you Yeah, it, it, and even, could you do that? Even in later interviews, um, like, I don't know how much you guys watched past this album for interviews or content, but he's still, like, he just talks about playing music and traveling and just like the joy of being able to spread love to people and spread joy to people. It never becomes like, I can't believe I'm famous. I can't believe I made it to here. I can't believe this is my life. It's always like, I can't believe I get to go show so many people all this love. I was watching one interview that pretty much every interview you watch, you see him ask the guy, how, how is he doing? There's uh in that Daptone documentary Living on Soul, they're interviewing him and he's driving like a nice big van and I'm like oh look and he's got necklaces on and he's got like a, he's driving a van and it's like he's got a life, uh, and they're asking I was like last couple of years man he's like they've been good. What about you guys? What do you guys been up to? What are you, how are you doing? I think, like, the meanest thing he says in the documentary is he's like, I just, like, I want to have my own apartment 
so that if I get stressed, I don't have to live at my mom's. Like that's like, like that's like, sometimes we fight. I get it. Yeah, he just talks about how he <laughs> needs his peace. He needs his 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 space. That's like that's as mean as he yeah. gets. For... <laughs> that he acknowledges like... he needs a boundary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and still, like at you know, he's this old man. His mom is old, and he, you know, sp- he's still living in the projects. You know, when this documentary is is being filmed, and like he's just kind of getting things started with Daptone. And still, like, you know, they show him writing the checks to pay his mom's, you know, water bill and, and heating bills and stuff like that. And, you know, this is the woman who abandoned him. And he has, or he was born with, what, eight brothers and sisters? Is that is that right? Yes. Something, Something that like that. Maybe they didn't all live in New York. Um, right. Well, I know because one was, they, the age is, gets pretty crazy, too, I believe. Oh, yeah. The age difference. Oh, right. But, you know, he's still, like, he's not, he's not a, a well-off man. and He's, like, supporting and all of them. And he's supporting all of them. Like, just, you know, and like I said, this is before the Daptone thing sort of took off. And he's working his ass off to, like, take care of his mom. They show you he's cooking and like cleaning her clothes and everything. And meanwhile, like this guy's trying to, you know, put together an album and learn to read. They show you, you know, the tutoring of him. He's 60. 62 at the time. 62. Yeah. I mean, the man is just, uh, he exudes love very clearly. Yeah. Um, but so back to his, his childhood, he's, in Brooklyn, he's in Brooklyn. He's eight years old. He's living in the sand floor in a basement, and then he runs away at fourteen to get out of that because his his house his I guess his household was abusive in a bad environment, and also I mean, which is I, I guess obvious by the basement. He lived on the streets, and he talks about living on the subway and sleeping on the subway every night, and just riding the train one end to the other until the cop woke him up and told him to get up. And he go finds a different train. Yeah, then you just go on a different train. And then there's this story he tells, uh, and then he joins the Job Corps and travels around a bit, and and he talks about when he lived in Poughkeepsie, and he wasn't able to get to work, and his boss said, if you don't get to work, then you're fired. So Charles Bradley hitchhikes to work, and the, the car he's in gets pulled over, and this racist cop takes him out and starts harassing him. And then he gets let go. And then he talks about going to a pizza shop and sitting there trying to figure out what's the quickest way to kill himself so he won't feel any pain. And then he decides he's going to jump in front of a truck. And that he, th- he figures a truck will kill him, but a car might not. He doesn't want to live in any more pain. He just wants to be gone. And he says he was just sitting there trying to like muscle up the courage to go jump in front of a truck when someone started playing take it to the limit by the eagles and i paused the documentary and listened to that song and uh i was a wreck after that um and i can imagine like that that song being in like in like that moment in your life yeah because it i can imagine it being that kind of powerful for it because it is like such a slow swinging kind of feel to it yeah it's emotional I mean if you're already in a place where you're 
contemplating how to kill yourself. Yeah. And then you hear this. I feel like, like, kudos to Charles. I feel like this would have made me be like, yeah, I gotta do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I would have had the opposite reaction. Well, I just like the the idea to him of like, no, let's take it all the way to the limit one more time. Of just God yeah. being like, no, Charles, make one more push. You got this. And then he didn't. He, I mean, he, he didn't get he it. Did he it. took like seven more For pushes. Like the... <laughs> um, it's like another like 40 years before. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys noticed at the end of the documentary, but um, in the thanks and like the special thanks at the end, they thank whoever put the quarter in the jukebox to play that song in Poughkeepsie. Oh. Is that guy's thing? That's... I just got goosebumps <laughs> saying it. I This is like, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this <laughs> We're gonna have to like the like last us. half hour of this episode's just gonna be us crying. <laughs> we just, you know what? When one of us starts crying, we just gonna start going back to mud flaps and talking about <laughs> shooting out that reel like tire on mud. It's just diarrhea of the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta grow your bangs out a little more, Dana, so they can be your tear mud flaps. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Sia yeah. does it. <laughs> so no one can see her crying. Well, that's no one can see it's her diarrhea cry from, from the where shandle. you see. It's Sia. And she's got yeah. it, so she, you know. Uh, so anyways, so he's, you know, he's around, he, he's traveling around. He's in the job court. He goes to California, and he's playing in a band. And this is the part that, really i think broke me the first time around watching it years ago and this is always what stuck with me is that he did have a band that was starting to catch some like heat and people were really enjoying it and then every member of the band got drafted to vietnam fucked like that's the it's stuff like that that makes you think like what the fuck is charles bradley like what what did he do to deserve this what and what did do? we do to deserve him right you know yeah he, he was just—he was only ever nice to people. It's—it's it's nuts. Like it feels again, like so unbelievable. Yeah. Like if you were to write it, that like someone could be that nice. But so then, also, like, there's no way that you—I mean, you can't sing like he sings without that, without yes. that pain yes. and and that experience. You just can't. It doesn't—it doesn't work that way. It's like um, it's like an exorcism. Like what he sings, it's like he's driving everything that he's experienced forcibly out of his yeah. body, and like just to like replace it with like love and music. And they talk about that uh, with uh, why is it so hard to make it in America? As that was just something that Sharon Jones would say because they couldn't make record sales in America. And then the second that you just hear Charles Bradley say those words, why is it so hard to make it in America? Then everyone was like, oh, my God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, that's the saddest thing yeah, I've ever heard. I mean, I mean, I liked the album. Like, I think, like, that's the thing. Like, uh, with, like, if it's, like, kind of funk, it's, like, soul, it's a groove. Like, I don't, I don't mean this is, like, a negative, but, like, it kind of, like, blends. You kind of get sucked in. 
And then when that song hits, when Why Is It So Hard hits, it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, that's where it goes from, like, a very good album, at least, to, like, like, to me, it goes from a very good album to, like, a great totally. album. Because, like, that song just, like, slaps you, you awake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and... and it- it's let's, um, uh, let's put this on fucking knockout performance and it, it really you feel like he means it when he sings it because he does but like because he's lived it yeah it is just like yeah. his um his life because originally it was the album ended on heartaches and pain it was a 12 track album and then on after, but that was only the first initial release, and he had two covers that were B sides initially, for No Time for Dreaming, and I believe Why Is It So Hard, or No No Whole World Is Going Up in Flames, and No Time for Dreaming, and on the reissues they added those covers onto the album, which was Neil Young's Heart of Gold and Nirvana's Stay Away. Um, well, let's check out Why Is It So Hard, because it is like a whole album, and then. It ends with kind of him letting you know why all these things are that way. Yeah. Because I like that it starts with the whole world is going up in flames. It starts with him talking about what's wrong with the world and not about his life. Like, he waits till the end of the album for the songs about himself. And I think that says something about him. I love the album cover, too. Dana... Do you remember, I believe you were at my house for this. I think it was for a Breaking Bad finale party where we had so much Keef that we covered Charles Bradley's hair and oh, made, yeah. gave him a Keef afro. <laughs> I do remember that. That's, That's all I think about when I look at this album cover, unfortunately, is Charles Bradley laying in a bed of Keef with a Keef afro. <laughs> Anyways, here's heartbreaking. What is Keith? Am I just like a huge? Um, it's like the. Don't tell him. Yeah. <laughs> it's you like the, the like uh, crystally like shake stuff that you you get on weed. Have you ever touched oh, okay. weed, Joe? Oh, I, I. Is that a sin? No, no, it's a serious question. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it. you never smoke weed. And then like you feel like there's like some crap on your fingers afterwards. So that's that's yeah. the Keith. Those are the trichome crystals. Ah, there you go. If uh, if you want to get scientific about it. <laughs> I also love. No, I have, I have I have like a big square. Like I don't think I really. I have four different kinds like of most... weed next to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think like. Like we put on this heartbreaking only... song and then just <laughs> talked about weed. I've only bought weed legally. <laughs> like, let's put it like that's how <laughs> square I am. So, like, this year, last year. I don't know, how long has it been legal in Massachusetts? Uh, it's only been uh, open for, like, I think 20, 2018. It started to open up pop for a wreck. Damn. But then, like, 2017, I was on the road, so like, there's places yeah. in, like, the West Coast. So, yeah. I love the album cover uh, for this record, mostly because of like the the face that he's just like absolutely cheesing, and like the the album is heartbreaking, you know. But it's funky and fun too. But like he's just like 
thrilled. Like he he looks like he's on top of the world. Yeah, he is so happy to be here. I I just love this song so much. So the way well, so finishing up Charles Bradley's past here, he lived in California from 77 to the mid-90s and was uh, working jobs, working odd jobs and playing as uh, James Brown cover band Black Velvet or James Brown Jr. And he was like making pretty good money doing that and getting by. And then his mother wanted him to come back home so that they could get to know each other. And he gave up his life. He was, like, sick and run down and tired and came home to see his mom. And when he came home to New York, he went to the hospital and had an allergic reaction to penicillin and nearly died in the hospital. Oh, my God. Ugh. And then in the doc, and I, I know most of this episode is just us talking about the documentary, but, I mean, you really, you should watch The Soul of America Uh I, I can't recommend it enough. I'm sure you guys feel the same. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and don't, I mean, it's, I, I, I do cry fairly often, I guess, at things, but this had me crying the, the entire, I couldn't stop. It was, and sometimes it was like an exhausting full body sob. Same. Uh, but, but it's it it is like it's it's a good cry yeah, like it, you're like, like they so happy say, for like, him the whole time and like you can't believe this is happening for him. Yeah, because you know how it ends. It ends with this album being what it is. Like a big yeah. success, and then having two and unexpected like. Yeah, that was cool that it like really exceeded expectations. Well, I think just like I think like they knew it was gonna be good, but like they didn't know if it would sell well because it's a soul album in twenty eleven from a nobody. Like, yeah, a debut. Yeah. yeah, from like a small a nobody on a small label. But I think everyone was just so inspired by his story, and I'm sure having that documentary out when it like uh, which I think was twenty thirteen or twenty twelve. I'm sure that helped a ton too because it de- debuted at South by Southwest in 2012, Soul of America, and this album came out January 25th, 2011. It is just and it's it, it is a hard out like once you hear like it's hard to not like 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 at the very least like you're gonna be like I like this this is like it's 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 got like the music's great the singing's great like like even if you don't get like this. If you don't know his story and have this big connection to it, it's just like a nice thing to have on. Like, yeah, it is like it's a great party record. Just to like if people yeah. are over and you're just hanging out, put this on, and I mean, definitely turn it off before you get the heartaches and pain or something. But <laughs> well, yeah, like that his his like singing is and his lyrics are so like powerful and soulful, but the the actual like music and the the production of the album itself is like so fun it's like it's it i mean there's some really interesting stuff that they do on this record that like i would you know you're kind of like focused on obviously charles bradley singing but then like you're hearing the stuff that's going on in the background too and it's like whoa that's not really typical for like a a soul album like this yeah it's really interesting because dap tone is essentially pretty it's like a group of like 50 session musicians that all have these bands with crazy like 
uh, interchanging, not interchanging, but like overlapping members. Um, like, are you guys familiar with the Budos band at all? No, they're, not really. They're another great instrumental funk band, and it's with, I believe, two members in the Minahan Street Band, and at least Thomas Brennick on guitar, who's like the one of the leads of Minahan Street Band. And it's just like, that's kind of what Daptone is. It's a lot of just session people doing their own bands together. So you get these incredibly tight groups with like really intricate knowledge of how you can make these parts melt, like mesh together in different ways and how to really make a horn part go for so many different styles because they've played for so many different albums. Um, like Minahan Street Band tour was Amy Winehouse's touring band for Back to Black. Um, and Daptone, I believe, released it before it was Daptone, or it might have been one of the earlier, one of the earliest ones. But that's another crushing documentary, the one about Amy Winehouse. I have yeah, not seen that one. It's good. You should watch it. It, it. it it's like a really well done like music document, like like a like a bio. Yeah. It's it's pretty like. Cause like so, mu- there's just like so much like uh, like home footage. Like it, it's just like a great. I'm I'm glad yeah. that you said that about Daptone being like these like session musicians because I was kind of confused myself like about because you know in the documentary they're like talking to these guys from Daptone like talking to them about like putting out the records but then like you see in the footage it's like wait a minute that guy was just. Like They're that's the guy. Bassist, They're yeah. The, yeah, that's the band too. And I, I, I didn't know that about Daptone. I only knew them as like a, you know, a record label putting out these like great, you know, R and B and soul records. Yeah. And I, I had no idea that they were also like it was kind of like homegrown. Like they made the records and put them out. Yeah, Gabe Gabe Roth. I I don't like the way he comes out in his doc. He comes out kind of like an ass in this doc. I feel like he seems really cocky. And this, he's a guy with the glasses and like yeah. kind of the thin, <laughs> yeah. And he's the one that he's the only one that says something like, you know, he, I think he's got a long road ahead of him, and he's starting pretty late. You know, it's just one album, and he's like kind of he comes off very strange in this, and he comes off really weird and living on soul as well. But then you start to kind of learn more about this guy, and you learn that he's really been around the block for a very long time and done a lot of things, and is actually like smart i think just quick with communication if that makes sense you know when people are kind of brief to the point where it's like you sound like an asshole now Mm -hmm. that's kind of how it seems more like uh but he started daptone with neil sugarman is his first name so he um he he had in the documentary they showed some kind of like certificate did he work with james brown or something it was like Master of Master of Soul or something. Oh yeah, I saw that. I think it's probably like a like a school named after. James oh Brown yeah, I, I, I assumed really... it was a goof. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that could also be true. <laughs> Wait, what's that guy's name? Um, Gabe Roth, Bosco man. He also writes a lot of uh, Sharon Jones's music and a lot of music hmm. for Daptone. And Antibalas, he he writes, he writes a lot of really great soul music, and that's kind of like when I started when he started talking about the money that he writes. That's when I was like, oh shit, all right, well, 
you kind of get to be an asshole if you're yeah. writing Sharon, if you're like just this this Jewish kid from New York writing Sharon Jones's soul music. He has a story. He tells a story uh, in uh, Living on Soul about uh, playing in like a like a black church uh, group, playing bass for like the church band, and being just terrified the whole time. And it's it's a pretty funny story. That's a that's a really great documentary. I recommend to you guys. It's a good follow up to this one because you get to see a little more of Charles and Tommy Brennick, and you see yeah. Sharon Jones, who is like uh, a queen. Ah, oh, just amazing. So, no time for dreaming, <laughs> Charles Bradley. Uh, what else? What else could we possibly say about this album? Because I think we've gone through his life. Well, we'll talk about his brother, and we'll listen to heartaches and pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, this is intro, how the album opens. That the, the intro to this album is just perfect. It's such a smooth piano cover and or piano piano part. And he's kind of yelling, and you get the idea of it, but he's not opened it up yet. something about like like good soul music where you like you can tell that all these musicians could like they're so talented they could just like bust out a solo they could do this and they they'd be phenomenal but like it's all about being like a tight a unit tight, and it's unit. just like yeah it's just like a perfect uh like uh like a Voltron of music <laughs> like everyone's just playing ex- and like, I think like that's so special when it like works yeah because like, it, it, it's like um, the fact that it sounds so easy is like a testament to how good they are like they're doing really complicated things but it sounds like effortless and like it's, it's really magical Definitely. and the way that it's all like kind of layered on top of each other like that and I don't it's not quite I mean like it's probably inspired by you know the the Phil Spector sound quite a bit I imagine like a lot of the Daptone stuff is but the way that it all kind of melds together I think that's a pretty important uh aspect in in all soul music is like it's not necessarily about you know it's the the singing in a lot of cases that really like drives it home and like the saxophone here the drums the piano it's all kind of just to make you feel what it is that they're that the the singer is is trying to say yeah it all works towards that one goal of like really making you feel it and that's why soul music is like the best music in the world for yes. that reason it it, it it hits you so right directly in the heart no it's other music such a, a work of balance with all of this too with like right keeping keeping that like good soul t- the tone of like getting a driving beat and making it exciting but still keeping it soul you know i guess for lack of a better word soulful as three white people describe yeah, soul <laughs> on a podcast <laughs> Soul is good. <laughs> it's soulful. 
I mean, there, I think there's a reason that we all were like weeping while yeah. like watching watching yeah. this uh, or the listening to this and watching the documentary last night. It's like it's very real, and it's it's only about making you feel like that's what the that's and what the art is. It's, it's almost always about making you feel better. I think is a big thing. Y- yeah. yeah, it's it's well, like it's not it's so much it's so emotional. And it could be heartbreaking, but I feel like soul is always so powerful. And like it, I feel like it gives you so much more than like if you listen to like really emotional, like like rap or like punk music or like de- like really depressing, like Elliot Smith, something like that. Something about like the driving power of soul that makes it so different. Well, I think there's like a lived experience there that that yeah. only exists like in. Well, I won't say only exists, but like it, that's such a a powerful, like we said, a driving force behind what is going on here. There's like a shared experience, or, you know, from my from what I've uh, learned and felt, I guess, just listening to soul music. Mm. Yeah, and I wonder, like, I know you you like said like kind of like half jokingly that like you like believe in God now, but it, like. Uh, I think there is, uh, like, a, you know, a lot of soul music is rooted in church music, like Sam Cooke. Definitely, yeah. Uh, uh, and, like, there is, like, a a, a, a transcendental quality yeah. to it, that it is, like, you're supposed to feel, like, like, that's, like, almost, like, the groove is, like, connecting you to, like, a higher, something bigger than you, like, you're, like, you're a part of something when you listen right. to soul. Right. Well, I mean, that's music. like, uh, I mean, I just a, American add a bong sound effect. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, it's yeah. Well, it sounds so cheesy, but like when you're actually like when like like when you like when you're in there like at a live show of like a soul like a, like a live soul, it, it, you feel connected yeah. to everyone, and it, it it does sound like such like a cheesy stoner thing, but when you actually like experience it it's really special and cool yeah. and like that's what this album is like designed to do like like that's like charles's goal is to like connect people and like with just like sheer force of love <laughs> yeah absolutely God. i'm sorry Dan. were you gonna say something oh well i mean just i guess to keep on going on what I was saying earlier and I don't even know if we want to keep this in there because I am a white woman but it's like I think that there's a root of no one has I to mean, know that Dana's black no <laughs> I'm not but and, and, and that's why oh, I feel like I maybe okay. shouldn't <laughs> well, I, me thinks that doesn't I too don't much. want to like you know claim to know anything about you know the black experience because i don't all i know is what i or all i feel i guess is like what i have heard other people talk about and what i hear in in soul music um but i i mean that like that has always been such a a form of you know protest through joy for black communities right is like you you know, there's a reason that like all this music hits so hard. It's because like at a time, you know, that was all that they had was, you know, singing to each other to like 
you know, tell their stories and to take their minds off of being fucking enslaved. Yeah. And, and even still, like, as, you know, obviously, like, as things changed in this country, I mean, not, obviously not for, like, nobody is fully free even now, but that is, like, you know, they are still oppressed. Like, Charles Bradley was, like, oppressed. They are, you know... Yeah. And, and and that, like, experience sort of, I think, informs, like, a lot of why this music, like, speaks so directly to, like, your own soul. Is, yeah. You know, it's just like it's a... And I think it speaks to the power of, uh, like, Charles Bradley and the artist to be able to... Ex- kind of not explain, but like to describe that experience and make you feel what they felt without having to have gone through it and without like with being able to live a different life, but still understand to have them help us understand like what it is like to have to go through all these like awful struggles and stuff. I think speaks to their power too. Right. To, to go through these awful struggles, to live this oppressed life in a place where everybody is supposed to be free and, and still find joy like these songs are still like you know like we're saying it's it's heartbreaking and it's intense uh it's real but there is still like joy and love in there there's always hope yeah yeah that that part in the movie where charles is like i know that people think like this is like a a sign of weakness or naivety like he like says it and like that like to be as nice as he was, he's like people are gonna take advantage of me, and I know they think I'm weak because I'm nice, but I refuse to change. It really is an act of resistance. Yeah, totally. Like I I I I do love everyone, and I, cause that like like watching him, I like saw something like I maybe don't like about myself that maybe if you see someone who is just being nice to people on the street, you think they are either, like, crazy or, like, mentally like mentally ill yeah. or, like... Ment- and, like, it's like, no. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he really was genuine and sharp. Like, he wasn't... He doesn't want you to have to feel any of the pain he's had he... to feel. And that's, like... And... That's why I like to do comedy. It was so powerful. You know, that's, like, a big a big um, influence on like my type of comedy is like his attitude and like getting to getting to see this and know this before like going on stage and stuff. Cause this was like 2013 and 14 and uh, just like that desire to get people to not worry about it for an hour to like actually just feel love and joy for an hour and just relax yeah. and just like, because at the end of every Charles Bradley show, he gets off the stage and will walk around the crowd hugging everybody individually, always, like, near tears, like, eyes watering. And you could feel that the entire show that he's looking at you, and he's so thankful for you to be there, and he's so thankful that he feels like they have allowed him to be there. You know, that, like, he feels like he's, it's a, like, it's a privilege for him 
that people are allowing him the time and the stage and the, the space in their minds to get to send his message as if he doesn't hasn't like earned it with you know decades of and decades of incredibly hard and like heartbreaking work but it's just the gratitude and love that just like he just oozes out with just his look and his face and his eyes and every right. time he moves his arms you just feel it when you're in a room with him and it's uh, it's intense well imagine you know working your whole life like not giving up on this dream of like being a musician and like feeling you know having such a deep like connection to music like that and you know he says this in the documentary it's like what I wonder like why it took so long but you know God always has a plan or something to that effect like you know it he was a musician for you know from the time he was 14 and then he wasn't quote-unquote discovered until he was in his 60s like yeah and even beyond that the to think about what his mother put him through and the ability to forgive and to like love her so uh like completely and uh is is such like a an incredible like uh i don't know i don't know what to say without uh tearing up myself it's it's, it's, it's like it's, it makes you want to be a better person yeah. to like watch him like totally. to see charles because he lived in the like, projects oh. through his second album because he was also paying for his mother's house in new york so he was paying a mortgage yeah. and a rent in Brooklyn this whole like uh, and because he didn't want his mother to have to be on the street or in a home he lived in the projects and he talks about how like going home was a nightmare every single night and he was always terrified but then the second he walked in that door and just had his own space to relax then he was okay sanctuary yeah, yeah. It makes you, like, I don't know, like, as, like, a performer, I feel, like, how petty so much of, like, my, like, career anxieties are. Like, like I'm sure, you know, with COVID, like, you're probably bummed, like, oh, I haven't done a show in so long. And it's, like... Oh, yeah, I'm beyond dude, heartbroken about the whole thing. <laughs> so, it's so hard. Like I and like I and I felt that, but then it's like like Charles went like fifty years and like was still able to be like, hey, like to keep grinding and to still find it never broken. Like just like yeah, that he was able to keep following what made him happy and yeah to share it's, that it's really like, it's it's radical uh love i think like mm. it, for like as like we were saying like as a a form of like resistance it's like you know what are you gonna do stay down your whole life even though like all these forces are are working against you you know just sing it out like keep following your heart and what you love and yeah <laughs> yeah um so we we mentioned it earlier on in the episode that there is a song heartaches and pain on the album <laughs> i've got a song that, <laughs> uh charles during the documentary talks about how someone in his building was learning <clears throat> piano and he would sit and listen and try to learn it and 
he would sit at the piano when that guy wasn't and would just play this kind of tune. And through his whole life, he just kind of played this one tune that was always kind of in his head. And uh, Tom Brennick, and like this, I think this whole thing is like, it makes you love Charles Bradley, but it makes you like want to also hug Tom Brennick for like meeting Charles and like the whole band for just being like, let's sit and like teach this man to read and write. And there's an interview with Tom Brennick where he talks about how he had to like go through a rhyming dictionary with Charles a lot of like he didn't have the vocabulary to say what he wanted in a rhyme like he knew what he wanted to say but he just didn't have the vocabulary to put it into a song a lot of times and you hear that a lot in these songs that they are just sentences and ramblings almost that don't mm. rhyme and make sense uh, well lyrically and it's because he didn't have the vocabulary to do it. And I think it's just incredible that, um, you know, these guys saw him and saw something so special in him that they all made this together. And it's uh, it's right. great. Yeah, like the, there's like a shittier version of this story where they're just like, you sing our songs, yeah. right? Like, like, like you got a good voice, but you don't like where like they just use Charles. Yep. But that's not what it was, and like that was so special that he really, like, that they they all could tell that there was like, there that there was this ability and this message that Charles wanted to get out, and they helped him. Like they put their ego aside, yeah. which is also so rare in the <laughs> in the music industry that they they were willing to not be the stars of the show, and like that's, that's a, a session musician. Is what that is, you know. What I mean? That is yeah. like that is. Those are guys that have like been in a trained mindset, and like it's. But thank God that, you know, they they started Daptone. Thank God that they collected these musicians to do this, and thank God that they got, that somehow they Charles. saw Charles and that like that they. You know that because he never gave up and never compromised anything, someone saw him and immediately knew him because of the way he puts himself out there. And it allowed all this to happen. It's like, had he gotten bitter, he would have just been bitter till he died and no one would have ever known. Right. And, like, that is, that's like, a, I always think about that when, when you see, like, a random, like, bar band that's, like, way too yeah. good. Or, like, it's like, oh, fuck, like, this is a lot of people's lives. They they are as good as anybody and just nothing works. Yeah. And it's it's really special that this album got made that this guy never gave up uh, everything so this is the tune that charles bradley used to play through his life on piano and they put it to lyrics about uh how life is hard and mostly about the day charles bradley woke up and there was a commotion outside his house and he found out that his brother had been shot and killed in a robbery uh, so this is uh, Heartaches and Pain.
That's like the most devastating like bass drop. Yeah. <laughs> Your brother is gone. That just right into the big riff. Fuck. Is it pretty? This is about his older brother Joe, who was Charles' father figure. Like, he was pretty much the only yeah. person in his life that showed him love and care and took care of Charles. And where Charles lived a life where he kind of took care of everybody else that he knew, and this was the one person that took care of him. And to... Uh, <clears throat> yeah. And, it's, and it was so senseless. Like, it was... It was just, like, a random murder. Again, like, just... If, if you were writing it, it's just, like... Nobody should have yeah, to live through any of these things. Yeah, any of it. Never mind. Let alone <laughs> all of... Yeah. Oh, man. Oh. Um, I think... Fuck, I man. think we should... That's just beautiful. Yeah, it, it is. I, I think we should listen to No Time for Dreaming to oh, yeah. the, the titular track. Because this, I mean, there's a lot of sadness on on the record. Um, no Time for Dreaming, I think, is like one of the most inspiring songs that mm. I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, let's um, let's 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 kind of end with that. Do you have any other quick things about the album? And then we can kind of have the last. I just have two other quick notes. Then we we can end the end the end the uh, discussion with uh, no time for dreaming. I'm just uh, very very grateful for all of the things that happened that that had to happen to like make this man's dreams come true. But you yeah. know, just a few years before he died, that is that's something that's nothing to sneeze at. You know, that's like. Mm. It's a really beautiful story, even with all the pain and sadness in it. And I think yep. you can you can hear it on the the records. Uh, yeah, I'm re- I'm really glad you picked this one, Alan. Yeah, I I'm glad too. I I kind of like I listen to no like the song No Time for Dreaming a lot. And why is it so hard? Like these a lot of this album are my go to. Tonight sucked, and I don't want to do this anymore. And you put on Charles Bradley, and you hear this guy scream about how you can never stop, and just the the thought of no time for dreaming of just like I don't know that there this oh man I'm now I'm blanking on her name. Um, Barbara Streisand, Barbara Streisand, and Diana Ross. <laughs> Those are Charles Bradley's favorite singers. I was watching an interview where I he said. Well, Barbara Streisand. Um, I forget this lady's name, uh, but uh, he was saying that Diana Ross he loved so much because she came from nothing, and you can tell, and that like she like has that kind of like attitude about her of like I'm not gonna stop, and nothing's ever gonna stop me. And he stops the interview to show the guy on his phone pictures of Diana Ross looking cool, and it's so cute because you can tell like, oh, this is like, he, this is like a, a smartphone now. He's got like a smartphone and stuff, and he's like, look at look at how sassy she looks in this one. And he shows him like pictures of his mom too, who had passed by that time, and he was like, they said she was, she, they said she was like her, she was losing her mind, but look at her. We had went out, we had fun. She was sassy in this picture, and 
He's just he's so sweet in every interview. Uh, but the whole no time for dreaming is there is this this woman that uh, is Justice Without Borders, and is the woman who founded that. But she has a quote about that the when you dream of something, it's now your responsibility to bring it out in the world. And if you have a dream and a goal and you don't make it a reality, then that's wrong. Because ne- the second the second you think of it, now it's your duty to carry these things out. And I like the kind of goes along with the thought of no time for dreaming. And uh, I forget if it was in what if interview it was in, if it was in that documentary. But they asked Charles Bradley if he had one piece of advice to people. He says, uh, don't give up and take it to your grave. This is the titular track. And it's that same thing of like, this is the thesis of the album. You know, it's like the heartbreak is the backstory it's not the focus it's just you know the focus is no time for dreaming yeah the focus is leaving that shit behind and yeah taking it to the the limit one more time yeah yeah and it's cool to think that so many of these were the band playing and then charles just freestyling over it until he found what he liked that is amazing And there are um, instrumental versions of all of his albums that are available. And I believe it's the Minahan Street Band were with him for both this and Victim of Love. Oh, hey, yeah, this is like almost at the anniversary, 10 year anniversary of this album. That was a coincidence. Recording this February 7th, 2021. It was released January 25th, 2011. Huh. Yeah, I believe Changes was um, Udo's band. Yeah, I mean, when you see that the changes album cover how do you not want to buy right? that just like <laughs> well same with victim of love i mean i saw that album cover and i was like that guy it's definitely someone coming back right yeah <laughs> yeah and oh the soul of america ends with uh an early demo version of this track from victim of love called through the storm Oh, the credits were so sweet. Oh my gosh, yeah, they were. Of just them goofing. You remember this with the. It was just fast acoustic guitar and Charles singing. So it's interesting because this album is more of a collaboration. Sorry. What? Oh, like, wait. My girlfriend just like tried to get on the bed and like didn't quite make it. <laughs> I just started laughing. Joe, uh, for everyone listening, uh, sleeps on the top bunk and there's no bottom bunk. 
<laughs> yeah. So we had to sell the bottom yeah. bunk. Um, rent in Boston. They un- rent out the bottom bunk. <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> it, it gets sadder with uh, like his story doesn't ever stop being sad too, which I hate to 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 be the bearer of bad news. Where after he got uh, popular, so after Victim of Love, they recorded um, Changes as a single. And Changes has actually been out for a long time. It was uh, released for Record Store Day as a single. And nobody seemed to care. And I remember being very shocked. I was very into Charles Bradley at the time. And I snatched this up because I think it's incredible. And I know this isn't, you know, this is no longer the album, but uh, I just want to go a little further into Charles Bradley, and I assume you guys have no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Someone save moms? me. Moms? Yeah. I thought you said moms, and I was like, I assume we all had them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No qualms. Uh, but I think this, too, is like a really, first of all, this video is intense because it's just a big one shot of his face and it starts with six minutes of si- or six seconds of silence of him just looking down but this is an old Black Sabbath song that Charles Bradley covered and I think it speaks to kind of him and his soul and everything of this song is just about it's like just a uh, you know what I'm sorry hold on let's do this first do you guys know the original version of Changes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not great. Comparatively, yeah. no. I think in general, <laughs> it's just kind of like a a plain-ish ballad in the middle of a crazy coke-fueled album. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh... Black Black Sabbath was so fucked up during making Volume 4 that they never bothered to name the album. So the record company just chose Volume 4. That's what happened with this album. And so this is just like a breakup tune with some strings and piano. And uh, Charles Bradley hears that and turns it into this soul piece that when I first heard this, this sounds like the original, you know? This sounds like this is what the song has always been, and Black Sabbath did a bad job at covering it. (laughs) And he talks about how he reminds him of his mother, and that like how intense the last few years of his life have been and all the changes he's gone through and now he has to deal with the fact that his mother's gone yeah, it's incredible i mean this video is devastating rushing but it it is amazing yeah uh, it is just it's a it's an incredible cover all three of his albums um, and then also uh, Black Velvet which is a collection of unreleased uh, earlier tracks recorded uh, with Charles 
which they do play some of in the documentary as well. But unfortunately, too, so his mother died and left him everything. And his brothers started to sue him to get stuff. And so he didn't move out of the projects. The only way he got out of the projects was his mother passed and left him the house. And so now he's only paying for one house in New York. And he was using his uh, money that he made from touring and album sales to fix up the house. And he, he, I guess, was trying to get his mother to split up her assets between all of his siblings and wanted his brother to get the land that she owned in Florida. And she said, no, uh, you're the only one that deserved it because you're the only one that's been here for me and helped me like live for all these years. And you've worked so hard for me that you deserve you deserve to be left all this. And he wanted her to leave things to his brothers. And so they were suing him for the house and for some of their mother's assets. And he decided instead uh, at kind of his manager's suggestion that the house doesn't, well, so Charles ended up using his music money to fix up the house and sell it and split up the money between his siblings so that they didn't have to go to court because he said it hurt him hurt his heart too much for everyone to go to court. And oh, so he just fixed up God. the house to sell it and split up the money and his his manager said, Don't worry, Charles, there's a lot more houses in the world. Let's just fix this problem. And oh uh, I think it was just it seems like he has um like a nice team with him. Um, I'm trying to make sure I didn't have anything else. Uh, but it's just, it was heartbreaking to find out that, like, then I guess, too, like, a lot of people from his old neighborhood started bothering him about wanting to hang out and come back into his life now that he's famous. And he was saying that when he comes home from tour, he doesn't like his house to be a hangout spot. He likes his house to be where he comes to relax alone. And it's just like, I don't know. Through everything, all he ever wanted to do is just be at peace and help people. And I think he's just a truly beautiful uh, human being. I think we could all learn something from Charles Bradley's philosophy. Yeah. The golden rule. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just found out, too, that he was also the singing voice of the Krampus on American Dad. Oh that's yeah, a, or, that's a really random, like lighter <laughs> Charles Bradley. But yeah, <laughs> he just did that too. That's funny. I googled. I just before we started recording, I just pulled up his Wikipedia page. I just typed in Charles Bradley, and then I saw Charles Bradley, American Dad, hmm? like suggest. And I was like, what the fuck? That can't be the same Charles Bradley. Yeah, I guess it is. He looks saying like a. Christmas song. Yeah, because everyone just loved him. How can you not? Yeah, right. Like, truly, yeah. how can you not just instantly fall in love with this guy? That was my favorite thing in the credits. Is like, it was like, it must have been him, like, preparing for the interview, but it's just him going, like, that's me, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, like, it's so sweet. He's, he just exists. He's so sweet in every single thing you see him in. And um, 
I I don't think we talked about this on the episode, but I think we talked about it beforehand. That on living on Soul, you get to see a little later in his relationship because um, Soul of America is just the days leading up to the release of uh, No Time for Dreaming, and then the first month or so of that album being out, and it talks about his past. Uh, living on Soul kind of catches up with Charles Bradley and the Menahan Street Band, and you find out that he is now the Godfather to tom brennick's son and you see them hanging out and debating what dinner what to order for dinner together on the way to the studio and tommy's like you know my son misses you gotta come hang out more he's like i know tommy i know (laughs) and it's just so it's just so sweet to like i don't know it's it's just like (sighs) seeing charles talk to tommy and realize that like it just feels like he it's his only friend in the world and that he finally has someone that he like trusts and enjoys and like uh i don't know yeah they did a lot for each other yep so the degrees from zap (laughs) (laughs) this one was a tough one to find (laughs) this sorry it was getting too emotional and uh we had to i had to break it i had to break it (laughs) Uh, you know, there's a, nothing like a G-spot tornado. Yeah, nothing like a G-spot tornado to break up the tears. Am I right, ladies? Okay. So, uh, there is also the male G-spot. I know that. I know that. Don't tweet at me. Don't at me. I'm aware of it, okay? I know how to get there. So, there we, we found two different uh, degrees of Zappa because this one was uh, kind of a tough one. And I'll be honest, uh, I forgot to look for it till right before we recorded. So, we all did it together. Thank God. <laughs> um, so let's see the four big one we guess we found uh, four degrees from Zappa because the B side to one of the singles for No Time for Dreaming and was later included in the track listing for the reissue both on vinyl and CD was Heart of Gold by Neil Young uh, Neil Young of course famous for being a 1968 session musician for the Monkees <laughs> uh, who else was a session musician for the Monkees you say well none other than Billy Mundy I know you're thanking Billy Mundy from that one Zappa album in 1967 where he plays second drums. And you go, yes, that was Billy Mundy, which makes this four degrees away from Frank Zappa. Uh, Another way we can connect this to Frank Zappa, thanks to uh, Dana's findings. Uh, Zappa was inducted into the Rock and Hall of Fame the same year as Al Green. Uh, Al Green's former uh, session group, or a group that once played for Al Green as session musicians. What sentence structure am I using here? Was the Sugarman Three, uh, including none other than Neil Sugarman, who is a co-founder of Daptone Records, who released "Drumroll, Please." No time for dreaming. Making that, I should have counted. Oh God, let's say four again. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do math while you listen to this. <laughs> it's hard to do anything while you listen to this. I once set this song um, as an alarm. I forget what we were doing, but my my older brother was home, and I think I had to like get him to the airport in the morning. And I would frequently set this to my alarm because, like, if you wake up to you know just cheese spot tornado, you get up. And my (laughs) brother jump up. (laughs) Yeah, and that's what happened. Sean jumped out of bed, ran to the room. And I woke up to him going, what the fuck is going on? And he said it sounded like aliens were having sex next to him. 
Um, so that is that's all I had for Charles Bradley. You know, time for dreaming. It's a great album, incredibly great inspirational. Yeah. Um, now, what about you guys? What have you been listening to this week? Yeah, so it kind of like there there was unexpected parallels, but like uh, I've been like going through the Criterion channel a lot, just like watching like all really movies. me too. Best streaming service by far. If I could only keep one. Oh uh, yeah, it's so good. It was like for uh, our anniversary. That was my girlfriend's gift to me. She bought me a subscription for that. For it, which is that's sick. It's. Yeah, it was a great gift, except like I definitely think it means I spent less time <laughs> so, watching all these old art, art movies. Make her watch it with you. But uh, yeah, we we do watch a lot. Right, together, we're gonna have, so. have this but, conversation um, later, Joe. About I guess you too, <laughs> Alan. You're the uh, Alan. You're the only one. For me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's really all our friendship has been is discovering that uh, we might be in love. <laughs> I had Just my suspicions. Long lost soul mode, soul mates. It started because Joe but, saw uh, my ween tattoo. Then we discovered we both love Harry Nilsson. <laughs> and I saw your ween. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, Joe. Go on. Uh, but uh, so like I try to like see what's leaving so I can watch it before it leaves. And I I never heard of this movie because it was like not really well distributed. But Gordon Parks, who uh. Is famously, I think, the first black director to be signed on by a major studio. He was like a photographer for Life magazine. He made like a a like a well liked like indie movie based on his life, and then his follow up was a documentary or a a film about the life of Lead Belly, the like famous uh, like blues folk uh, guitarist who. Uh, and it's just, and then of course, uh, Gordon Park's most famous movie is Shaft. He made Shaft, and like, but Lead Belly kind of comes out in between like his big break and Shaft, and it, like, the movie studios have no idea what to do with it. They're like, oh, who's gonna want to watch a movie about an old blues man? And so they just like never really distributed it, and it got like rediscovered like years later. And so it's on Criterion till the end of the month. I cannot recommend it enough. It was so you've already uh, missed it by the time you hear this. No. <laughs> yeah, probably. But uh, you can probably find it on Amazon yeah. for money. But it's on Criterion. Just send Street. Joe money and he'll find it for you. Yeah, I'll, you guys. Uh, I got a red belly connection. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, his life just reminded me of like a lot, like Charles' career trajectory. He was definitely a very different guy. Definitely more like hot-tempered the Charles because he did murder two people uh which is crazy uh but there was also like you do get the impression watching the movie that it was just like a terror like the he was born in like 1880 something 88 they actually don't know which year it was because <laughs> it was not well documented uh but 1880 something and he uh you just get the impression of, like, a terrible time to be alive mm. that was. Like, like, it's a... He did murder two people, which is not great, but it was, like, they were probably going to murder him if he didn't murder them. Like, it was, like... Yeah, yeah. It, it was, like, just a crazy life. And then yeah, he was, like, a... a, a just a virtuoso on, like, the 12-string guitar. He, was like, toured around with, like, Blind Lemon Jefferson, who is, like, a Texas blues musician. Um, 
and he's he goes to jail for one of the murders for like 30 years and that's where like alan lomax's dad who is like one of the first like ethnomusicographers discovers him and records him while in prison and then that's like when he kind of becomes famous to like a wide audience is uh he recorded like uh I think he wrote Goodnight Irene, which is an amazing song. And he. The one that's, uh, Goodnight Irene. Uh, <laughs> have some no, sweet dreams. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Jump into the river and drown. It is midnight. Yeah. <laughs> Goodnight Irene. Uh, but yeah, so just an incredible story of, again, like someone who life just beat the shit out of. And then he uh, never gave up and, like, gets to, like, play Carnegie Hall at, like, the end of his life, be, like, really celebrated. So uh, the song I wanted to pick by him was his version of the Midnight Special, which is, I think, the first recorded version of this, like, very famous song. I I don't... This was, like, a prison song that did exist before him. He didn't write it, but he did, like, arrange it and, like, define it. Is this the same one that Credence does? Yeah, but his version is really good. So yeah. Uh, the movie. Sorry. Uh, Keep, oh God! Oh God! Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> yes, Joe. <laughs> I think like the movie. No real name. Kind of cap. <laughs> it captures something that uh, like we kind of talked about. It's like it's such a, a miserable life story. Like he's like always running from the law, always getting. Uh, like just like hardship and that but when he's playing music there is such like a joy to the way those scenes are filmed like every musical number mm-hmm. you just like see like this is just like something that like flows out of him like it does for uh, Charles mm-hmm. uh, just a really great movie and it's also cool I like it ends before things go good for him <laughs> like but That's it's like that. Yeah, so like, the ending is him being like, "You, you got me in jail." Like he, like he, he gets out of jail, and goes, has to go back to jail, and the movie ends with him like telling like the warden, "You can't break me," and that's where it ends. That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna and watch like, that before it leaves. And because it's like from like '76, it like predates like. Like, there's maybe a couple, like, tropey musician biopic mm. scenes, but for the most part, it predates those, so it really just feels like a still, like, a very fresh, uh, beautifully filmed movie with a great performance. The actor, when they, they try to make him look old, he just is clearly, like, not an old man, but he's he's great. He just, like, is a force. Uh, it really it reminded me most of like Spike Lee's Malcolm X movie because it's like it is a biography but you feel like it's a lot more than that yeah. too like it really is like the and it had like a nothing budget but they like recreate like Fanning Street in New Orleans like the like period 
decoration is it, it's just a really like you feel like the the like the meta text of it is like this is like hi- this is a history that we've ignored mm-hmm. and so i like gordon parks is like i'm gonna do it right i'm gonna tell this story i'm gonna give and then nobody saw it and it's just an amazing movie and an amazing uh, musician i'm definitely gonna have to check that movie out that's awesome yeah that sounds really very cool uh dana what have you been listening to <laughs> well uh i guess sort of going along with our theme of of hard uh live stories um i don't know if you guys have ever listened to any judy sill um yeah j d e e s i l l um you can look look for a lamb ran away with the crown judy sill she had this really uh sort of tragic life story um she died uh pretty young at a but from a drug overdose um she like grew up sort of she grew up poor and uh uh she would rob banks and uh, she had like these horrible drug addictions but these out this these songs that she wrote were just so so uh lyrically beautiful and uh just her the way that she sings i think is so so special and she plays you know all these songs or all these uh, all the instruments on uh, on her albums and they're beautiful oh. i was like <laughs> oh, nope. i'm gonna save this for when she's done talking. i was like oh <laughs> and i just learned uh on jesus christ alan get it together get it together alan come on richardson mud flaps is counting on you <laughs> What were you saying? Uh, she, I just learned that she was, um, she toured with uh, Graham Nash and David Crosby as their opening act, hmm. and she actually was married to uh, Robert Maurice Harris, who was in The Mothers. Who? Maurice Harris. <laughs> he, I guess he was a keyboardist uh, in 1971 for The Mothers. Oh. oh, in 71. Mm-hmm. 71 had so many, uh, wait, 71? 71? 71. What was this? Maurice, ha- how do you spell that? Mar- yeah, Robert Maurice Harris. Oh, Robert. Robert. <laughs> Not even Maurice, close. Maurice, you know what? <laughs> Once that once 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 thank God this is a fucking audio podcast where it took me this long to realize like oh Maurice right like the name Maurice yeah you were spell you were spelling you're like I need Maurice <laughs> I was stuck on Morris and then I was like trying to get Morris to Maurice and uh, anyways that's not enough Reese and now I forgot <laughs> we need more Reese <laughs> she's sort of this like kind of forgotten uh, songwriter that was really, really amazing. I, I can't recommend those albums enough, especially that, that self-titled one. She... Ozzy Osbourne looks like a pretty lady already. <laughs> Excuse me? 
but she <laughs> looked she looks yeah you said that without cut she looks like because i was trying to wait i was trying to stop this from going on uh but she looks like ozzy osbourne she kind of does I'm, that's not her okay that's ozzy osbourne she looks like the most normal oh, geez. What the hell's woman happening? that you've ever seen like she just looks like a librarian or something yeah Right, there is a nightmare happening right now on my computer. I just want this to end. And we should stress young. <laughs> yeah, Ozzy young Osborne. Ozzy Osbourne. We don't want to insult. <laughs> no. Poor woman. When Ozzy Osbourne looked like a pretty lady, that's why I started with that. Right, but that just sounded like a thing you were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was. What? This is really pretty. This is great. Yeah, the the whole album's just gorgeous and poetic like this. And yeah, she had a pretty pretty tragic story. Yeah. Well, so that's Judy yeah, Sill. Never heard of and that's from the seventies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had that that record is actually apparently the first one on uh Asylum Records. Oh really? Oh, yeah. Sick. Um, so something else I just want to point out for music is uh, Mike Jackson and the Soul Providers is another person from um, Daptone Records, and that's a lot of like their original core members. And this is just kind of like something an album I found that was about the beginning of Daptone. They were thinking that this was the start of the kind of their model of people are only going to buy these Soul albums if they think it's something old. So Daptone's first record was a fake soundtrack to a kung fu film called The Revenge of Mr. Mapoji. Mm -hmm. That's sick. And so this is like a lot of the base members for all these um, <clears throat> funk bands on Daptone's sold this soundtrack as like a fake as a fake album. And I guess people were frequently like, yeah, yeah, I know that movie. Like, I have it on, like, VHS from a while ago. And people would just, like, they would just see, notice everyone would be lying about, like, knowing what this was. And I think that's just kind of I interesting. That. That's amazing. I wanted to mention that if you wanted to search any deeper into soul jazz, that uh, Revenge of Mr. Mapoji is pretty interesting. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, you mean that? What did I just say? Soul jazz. Soul jazz? Yeah. I meant Daptone. So if you want to go any deeper into Daptone. <laughs> Alan said Alan made a mistake. Alan, uh, yeah, man. I like, I woke up angry about uh, the world. And so I smoked some marijuana. I'm sorry. And then I looked outside and it was snowing like crazy out. So then I ate marijuana. <laughs> and uh, now it's all starting to catch up to me because like every other session, we don't expect it to go for three hours and then we talk for a full three hours. And here we are. But so Yeah, it's been, it's been <laughs> three hours since we hopped on the tube. <laughs> Someone get me out of here. All uh, right, so Joe's, Joe's taking the reins oh, next yeah. week. Yep, so next Thank week I want to do uh, – like a slight change of pace. It's a shorter album. It's a happier album, and it's by a lady. So, a contemporary lady. So I want to do Whack World by Tierra Whack. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, T yeah, that first Wait. one. 
And that's actually like that's like not a stage name. That's like her name, which is yeah, kind of cool. cool. It's like pretty badass. Um, yeah, I would recommend watching the 15-minute film. It is, it was like intended as like an audio-visual album. Okay. Each song is exactly like a minute long, and there's 15 of them, and it's just so uh, it's just like a joyful thing of her like yeah creating her own world but she like plays with her voice she's a phenomenal rapper like just an incredible rapper she can sing and like she like does distortion so it's like weird and experimental like some of the stuff we've been listening to um but it's um i really like i don't i don't know if i've been more like i think it's the debut album i heard where i was just like Oh, I want to listen to everything this person does mm. now. Like it, it's like one of those where I you're just like, oh. Those. Uh, I think she was 23 when she dropped it. 22, 23. So um, I'll, I'll I'll get more facts when it's that week. But really excited to talk about it. And if you guys have never heard it, that's even more exciting. Yeah, but I yeah, I haven't. I'm excited to hear it though. Me you too. Because it's been pretty it's sad. Also, <laughs> We're we're entering uh the February gray we're entering yeah, gray season. There's like here. one or t- yeah. There's like one or two sad ones on there, but they're all it's like a minute, and then it's back to like punchline <laughs> yeah, rap. Awesome. Like she's like a great awesome. Um, yeah, her punchlines are strong. Her flow is phenomenal. Uh, really, yeah. Cool. Sweet. Uh, we'll see everyone next week when we cover uh Tierra Wax album Whack World. Uh, which, if you want to be best prepared for the episode, Joe recommends watching the 15-minute uh, video companion piece, uh, just Whack World Light Tierra Whack, that's on uh, Vimeo. Right, Joe? That's the best way to experience it? Yeah, yep. It's also on YouTube. Uh, what, it's oh, yeah. very easy to The find. first one's on YouTube. The second one's on Vimeo. Well, I prefer fuck me. Vimeo. <laughs> I prefer Vimeo because it's like a smaller company. All right. <laughs> Listener challenge. <laughs> YouTube versus Vimeo. You get an extra two seconds stir, on YouTube, apparently. So. Stir that Yeah, pot. but it's just to say, like, it just at the end says you should have gone on Vimeo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next week. It's All always right. a blast. All Bye, right, best friends. This has been brought to you by Dead and Mellow. Follow us on all your social media platforms and shop around at deadandmellow.com to see all of our stand-up, music, and podcast releases. Thank you, and God bless America. All right, see you later. See you Are we guys. actually leaving or just ending? <laughs>